Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 41, Equipment List for Pro Video Shooters. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm glad you're here. It is the end of August. In fact, by the time most of you listen to this podcast, it'll probably be uh, September, which is crazy because it seems like time has just absolutely flown by. Um, But it's been an awesome, awesome year. I'm telling you, the video industry has just exploded this year for most people. Um, I know this has by far been the most successful year I've ever had. Um, Probably, I have probably had twice twice as high a gross revenue as I have had on my second best year. (laughs) I mean, it has been insane. It has been awesome. And it seems like most people I talk to are having a very similar experience. It's just, for whatever reason, after COVID, it just exploded. And I'm totally okay with that. (laughs) So I have just been so thrilled about how much work I've had this year. Really nice contracts with some really great customers. I've had to do zero marketing. Um, it's just been awesome. God has really blessed me. And I'm I'm just, man, it's just awesome. And it has spurred me to want to do an episode today um, called Equipment List for Pro Video Shooters. And the reason why I'm doing this is because the video industry is hot right now. It's a hot market, and you can make a run as a professional in this market and make a good living. You can support your family at it, and uh, I mean, it's just a really good, really good industry to be in if you're willing to um, dedicate the time to learn how to um, do all the things that are required for video production, the pre-production, shooting, editing, storyboarding, script writing, like if you're willing to take the time to learn those things and if you're willing to invest into uh, proper equipment and get set up as a professional, you can make a run at this and make a good career out of it. And as we all know, video is not going anywhere anytime soon. So that's what leads me to today's podcast. For anyone who is like, man, I have been dabbling in video. I really enjoy it. I've done some wedding videos, or maybe I've done um, some small uh, promotional videos and things like that. And and man, this is for me. I want to I do this for real. I want to make a living shooting professionally. And how do, I, how do I go about doing that? What kind of equipment do I need to do that? And that's what I want to talk about today. So with that being said, I want to say that I want to say that some people who listen to this podcast may feel like some of the things that I'm going to go over are a little on the pricier side. And when I say pricier side, I'm not talking about like hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to recommend some gear today that is not going to be for uh, people that are just wanting to dabble in this as a hobby. Um, but that's not the point of today's podcast. The point of today's podcast are, is for people who want to do this for a living. And I think of it kind of like, to me, it's kind of like someone who wants to start a restaurant, right? If you're going to start a restaurant, you need the proper tools in order to open a restaurant. You can't go to 
your kitchen at your home and grab the fridge slash freezer combo in your kitchen and drag it over to your restaurant and call that your your freezer. <laughs> and you can't grab the the uh, oven out of your kitchen at home and take it to your restaurant and say that this is going to be my commercial oven that I'm going to I'm going to cook out of to make a living out of for my restaurant. I mean, it's not going to cut it, right? Like you're going to have to have a commercial grade oven and you're going to have to have a proper freezer and you're going to need chairs and places for people to sit and you're going to need all these different things, right? Because that's just what it takes to do the job and to be able to do it correctly. Like anybody who opens a restaurant knows that. It's just buying the tools that you need to do the job. And the same thing goes for any other industry. Like if you're going to be if you're going to get into the contracting business and you want to 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 build homes, you can't do it with just a hammer, <laughs> right? Like you're going to have to have the tools to do the job. So today's podcast is not necessarily geared towards someone who's just kind of uh, dabbling in this as a hobby. This is geared towards people who want to make a living shooting video. And the tools that I'm going to talk about are the tools that you need in order to be able to do a variety of work. Now that leads me to my second thing. Today's podcast is not going to be geared toward any one particular filming industry. For instance, what I'm going to talk about today is not going to be for someone who only ever wants to do weddings. Uh, to me, that's really limiting. I, I don't know why you would ever only want to do that unless unless you're just living in an area and you've got a knack for it and you're making a killing at it. I do have a, I do have a few friends that are that can do wedding that do weddings full time, but uh, I don't. I don't. I've never even done a wedding. <laughs> but but for me, I feel like if you're going to buy tools and you're gonna you're gonna get in this professionally, buy tools that allow you to work in a variety of industries, not just one. Um, because if you if you can have tools that work for all different kinds of projects, then you'll get you'll get hired more and you open yourself up for all different kinds of customers and potential jobs. And that can lead to more work and bigger customers and bigger contracts. And to me, that's just a good business move. So while yes, you may be able to buy a monopod and a mirrorless camera and be able to shoot weddings, that's all you're really gonna be able to do with it, right? Like you, if you buy a nice tripod and you get uh, a more traditional styled video camera, an interchangeable lens video camera, you can still do those weddings, but you can open yourself up to a wide variety of other kinds of projects. So all the tools I'm gonna talk about today are, are not only gonna be for people who wanna do this professionally, but it's also gonna be for people who who wanna be able to work in a wide variety of industries. And to me, in my opinion, that is probably the best way to go from 99.9% .9 of people. Some people out there are gonna specialize in one area and one type of industry and one type of industry only, and that's fine. But most people who want to make a professional career in video production are gonna to wanna to be able to work in a wide variety of environments and a wide variety of projects with a wide variety of customers so that they can open themselves up for all different kinds of projects. So with that being said, let's start with uh, equipment item number one. The first thing you're gonna need is you're gonna need some sort of a camera, right? Some sort of an A camera. And for me, I believe that you're best off getting an interchangeable lens video camera. Now, notice I said the word video camera here, uh, and there's a specific reason for that. Some people will call a camera like this a cinema camera, but I, 
I'm kind of trying to get away from that. And the reason why is, what is a cinema camera? Do we even know what a cinema camera is today? I think if you told someone you had a cinema camera 25 years ago, everybody would kind of know what you meant. <laughs> but today, any camera can be used to shoot cinema for the most part, right? Okay, maybe not any camera, <laughs> but there's no like clear definition on what is a cinema camera and what is not. So I'm not gonna use the word cinema camera. I'm gonna use the word interchangeable lens video camera. That's the term I'm gonna use. And the reason why is I'm talking about a camera that is designed to shoot video specifically, not a mirrorless camera, not a DSLR. Those are photo hybrid cameras. I'm talking about a camera that is made to, to shoot video. And the reason I use the word interchangeable lens is there are different types of video cameras. There are video cameras that have built-in lenses with servo zooms. You've got handy cam video cameras. I mean, if I say video camera, uh, kind of like cinema camera, what does that mean, right? So well, I want to say an interchangeable lens video camera so that people understand I'm talking about a camera that is designed to shoot video and that you can change lenses on. Cameras like these are Canon C200, C300 Mark II, C300 Mark III, Sony FX6, Sony FX9, Sony FS5, um, Panasonic EVA 1. Those are all interchangeable lens video cameras. So for me, equipment item number one on your list as a professional videographer needs to be, needs to be an interchangeable lens video camera. Now, can you shoot video professionally with a mirrorless camera as your A-cam? Yeah, you can, absolutely. However, it's very limiting. First off, you don't have built-in ND filters. You don't have built-in audio inputs. Um, you can get adapters and things like that to get audio into your camera, but it's still not like integrated in a way where it's built into, into the system. You're having to buy an attachment that goes on top, yada, yada. Um, plus, they're not gonna be able to have things like uh, LUT support. Um, they're not gonna have SDI out. They're just not, they're not designed really to be a video camera per se. A, an interchangeable lens video camera is going to open up more doors for you because you can do more things with it. You can hook up SDI to do a live streaming. You can, you can hook up um, multiple channels of audio internal. You have all your NDs built in. You have LUTs built in. You have things like bars and tone and all kinds of other professional tools that will allow you to be able to use that camera for a variety of different applications. Plus, Plus, this is big, while you may come up to me and tell me, yeah, man, I, I can shoot anything on a mirrorless camera and do just as good as you with a video camera, and maybe that's the case. However, the reality is, is there are a lot of clients out there that snub their nose at people that own a DSLR or mirrorless camera. It's the truth. I've had, literally have had jobs where people have posted that they were looking for someone to come in and do a video project for them. These are high-profile clients. But they literally said, I've seen this numerous times, it literally says in the description, no DSLR or mirrorless shooters. Why is that? Well, it's largely in part to the fact that they've had bad experiences with guys who show up with those kind of cameras. Um, some of those cameras have a tendency to overheat. A lot of them historically have had 30-minute 
record limits. We're starting to move past some of those record limits, but uh, a lot of cameras still have them. So they have guys that show up, they have 30 minute record limits or that have cameras that overheat or that don't have the proper tools like audio inputs and stuff built in. And so they slow them, they slow the process down or maybe are incapable of completing something for some reason. And so it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Plus, if we're being honest, there are a lot of people out there that own DSLR mirrorless cameras. I mean, how many people do you know own a, own a photo camera? Probably a lot, right? And it's nothing for someone to go to the local camera store and buy something like a Sony a7 III or a Canon uh, EOS R and say, hey, I'm a professional photographer or hey, I'm a professional videographer, you know, hire me. <laughs> but how many of those same people are gonna go down to the local camera store and buy something like a Sony FX6? Very few, right? Well, if someone shows up for a job and they're like, hey, yeah, I have a Sony FX6 or I run uh, a video camera, they're more likely to get hired because they just look more professional. It's just the truth, right? Because anyone who takes the time and money to invest in a proper video camera, an interchangeable lens video camera, that person is clearly dedicated towards being in this professionally, whereas any Joe Blow down the street might have a mirrorless DSLR camera. So you automatically set yourself apart just, just in appearance alone by having that as your primary camera. And I show up to jobs all the time and people see my camera and they'll say to me, man, how much does that thing cost? Because it looks professional. Whereas I've shown up and shot projects with mirrorless cameras before and they've looked at me and said things like, oh man, my cousin has one of those or I've been looking at getting one of those. You know, or does that, <laughs> this is my favorite, does that thing shoot video? <laughs> and that's not good, right? So an interchangeable lens video camera looks more professional. It opens up more doors because of that. There are a lot of, companies out there who have um, been used to hiring guys who have cameras like that and will be interested in hiring more guys like that. So it just opens up those kind of doors for you. It makes you look more professional, makes you more hireable, and it's got all the professional tools uh, built in that help you be able to shoot video um, easier, quicker, and more efficiently without having to build some sort of Franken rig. Um, to be able to do the things that a video, a proper video camera can do um, already out of the box. So you need to get a interchangeable lens video camera as item number one. Now, what do you get? Well, I'm not gonna tell you exactly what to get. It really depends on you um, and what your budget is and kind of what features and things you're looking for. But I will say, if you're looking for something affordable, if you're trying to be budget friendly, I would look at the Sony FS5. It's come down a lot in price now that it's been replaced um, with newer generation FX6, which is kind of almost replaced the FS5 and the FS7 at the same time. <laughs> um, but you can get an FS5 versus screaming deals new and also really, really good ones that are in great shape used that cost almost nothing. Um, those cameras are going to give you um, all the professional video features I mentioned earlier, plus others, and they're going to be cameras that people that um, might be looking for freelancers and stuff are, are gonna be used to hiring uh, people who have those kind of cameras. So an FS5 is a great entry level camera for a professional video camera. You can also look at that lower price point um, at something like 
a Canon C100 uh, Mark II. It's kind of long in the tooth at this point, and it doesn't have 4K or really many slow motion options or anything, but it's got a beautiful color science, and it's got uh, a lot of professional tools built in, so if you're wanting the Canon color, you can go that route as an entry-level camera. If you want to step up from there and you have a little bit bigger budget, then you could look at something like um, a C, uh, C300 Mark II used. Um, C300 Mark IIs are phenomenal cameras. They, If you ever have seen Free Solo, the majority of Free Solo was shot on a C300 Mark II, and um, Free Solo was an Oscar-winning uh, documentary. So if that tells you anything, you you can do really great work with that camera. Um, so if you are uh, interested in the Canon route, a C300 Mark II is another uh, route you can go for a little bit more money. Um, for a similar price, you could get, or even less, you can get a Sony FS7, um, which is uh, the, co the competition for the C300 Mark II doesn't uh, have as good a color science, in my opinion, but it does have um, higher frame rate options and is easier to shoulder mount if you're looking for something like that. And then for a little more money, you could look at something like the Sony FX6 or the Canon C300 Mark III or even the Canon uh, C500 Mark II or Sony FX9 if you're willing to go all the way up to those price points. Um, and there are other options from like Blackmagic and um, Red and... Uh, even Panasonic, but I would recommend Sony or Canon. And the reason is because of item number two, which is your B camera. So once you get item number one, your primary video camera, your interchangeable lens video camera, you now should get a B camera to go with it. Um, any professional videographer who's going to be offering their services to people should have at least two cameras. Uh, I, I typically have three with me, um, but I could do most jobs with two. Two cameras um, will help you go a long way for doing things like two camera interviews or having one camera set up um, for tripod and shoulder work or maybe on a on a, something like a easy rig, whereas uh, the, your smaller camera, your second camera can be, you know, put on gimbals or drones or sliders or things like that. So uh, a small B camera should be your second purchase. And one of the reasons why I, I recommend sticking with Sony or Canon is because Sony and Canon have uh, really great mirrorless camera options that you can buy as B cameras and they'll match up pretty well with your uh, video A camera. So for me right now, I'm running a Sony FX6 as my A camera and I'm running an A7S III as my primary uh, B camera. And it's awesome because I'm not mixing and matching brands and mixing and matching colors. Um, both of my cameras have the same lens mount, both take the same lenses, both have sim similar color options uh, and a similar color science. So whenever I'm editing a project in post, everything matches really well, whether I'm shooting a log or, or uh, something like a Cinetone for a baked in color profile, depending on what I'm doing, um, they match really, really, really well together. And so if you go with something like Blackmagic as your A-cam and maybe something like Canon as your B-cam, you're going to have to you're gonna to have to jump through some hoops and posts to try to match them up. So I recommend sticking with something like um, a Sony FS or FX series A cam um, and a Sony mirrorless B camera or something like a Canon uh, C series A camera and a mirrorless camera B camera. Personally, I think those are two really, really good routes to go. You could go the Panasonic route. They do have the Eva One um, and the Vericam LT, but they're just, 
Honestly, I think they're kind of outdated. Um, but if you for some for some reason just like Panasonic, you could go that route as well. But I think most people would go the Canon C series with the Canon um, EOS R5 or something like that as a B camera, or would go the Sony route, one or the other. So an A camera, interchangeable lens. Uh, video camera, and then a B camera would be a mirrorless camera, something small that can go on a gimbal or a slider, um, things like that, something that you can run around and get handheld shots with real easily, something that's got good autofocus, um, and uh, some really good options for things like time lapses and whatnot, um, and something that can take some photographs so you can get some behind-the-scenes pictures or um, things like that to help post and market yourself. So that would be the second purchase. Now, once you get those two things, you're going to obviously need some lenses. If you're looking for just some basic all-around no-brainer lenses, um, personally, I really think you can't go wrong with getting a 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 to 200 f2.8 combo. Um, those three lenses are amazing because you you can get three lenses that go wide, uh, medium, and long, and all at an f2.8, and you can do a lot of work with those three lenses. Now, if you are wanting image stabilization for your, uh, your video camera, so you can get some handheld shots with it and stuff, I can see an argument there for doing a 16-35 to 2.8 and 24-105 to, uh, to f4, and then a 70-200 I, I see a reason to swap that 24 to 728 for the 24 to 105 out. I, I see that because the 24 to 105 does have image stabilization. So if you're looking for image stabilization, um, you could go that route. I like having f2.8 lenses, so I run a 16, 35, 24, 77, 200, all in 28s. I just personally prefer that. Um, but if you if you want to do something similar, but you want image stabilization for handheld shots, you could do the same thing. Just swap out the 24 to 70 for a 24 to 105, and uh, you'll have image stabilization. and And there's a really good argument for that. For me, I use an easy easy rig um, to be able to uh, compensate for that. Um, and that has been really helpful for me, so I can stick with all two eights and get smooth handheld shots. Um, but if if, if you want image stabilization, that's, a, that's an option. So I would start with those three zoom lenses just because they, they can cover so much ground. And then I would start putting some primes in there. Um, something like a 35 or 50 F1.4 prime is great for interviews and um, just getting some creative shots. You can get something like a, an 85 or 135 F1.4 or F1.8 um, for... Um, interviews as well for uh, really tight second angle shots, or you can use them for uh, just really great creative shots. So there are primes that you can also get to, to, to go with your zoom lenses. And of course, if you're filming any kind of wildlife or anything like that, you can get something like a 100 to 400 or 200 to 600. But both Sony and Canon have all these options out there. I think a good starting point is the 16, 35, 24 to 70, 70, 200. And then from there, start filling in the gaps with some prime lenses so you can um, add some really uh, creative shots to your already good zoom lenses. And, and if you do that, if you get those three zooms and a couple of primes, man, you, you'd be pretty well off. And there's a lot of things you could do with those three zooms and a couple fast primes. Um, so that would be my, my third purchase or the third item that you need to get. Now, Item number four is you need a good tripod. Um, I know a lot of guys who, 
for whatever reason buy monopods instead of tripods and i really don't understand that but if you are if you're serious about video you can't do that like i can't even believe i'm talking about this i can't even believe this is something i'm even mentioning in my podcast but genuinely i've worked with three or four different guys who only have monopods and told me they never needed tripods and i think it's mainly honestly i don't know what it is i don't even i can't even wrap my head around that <laughs> but you need to get a tripod and you need to get a good one and a manfrotto 502 isn't going to cut it i'm sorry that is not a professional tool it's just not you need a sockler or a miller or an o'connor or something like that a tripod should be a life time investment, something you get that lasts you your whole career. I've got two Socklers. I got an FSB 10 on a pair of Flowtech 100 sticks, and I got an FSB 8 on a more traditional pair of carbon fiber Sockler sticks. And and they are amazing tripods. The F the uh, FSB 10 is a 100 millimeter bowl, and I use it with my FX6. And then for my mirrorless cameras, I use the FSB 8. And they're pricey investments. But let's go back to that uh, kitchen conversation with the restaurant owner. Um, it's just a matter of having the right tools for the job. And um, if you're going to get paid money and good money at that to shoot video professionally, you can't have shaky shots and you can't have shots that aren't smooth because you dropped $250 on your tripod. Like if you're going to get nice cameras and nice lenses, get a really nice tripod. You need to. Um, and a quality tripod, like I said, is a lifetime investment. So I would recommend looking into Miller if you want to save a little bit of money. If you're willing to spend more, get into Sockler like I did. Uh, and if you're willing to spend even more than that, look at something like uh, an O'Connor. But don't buy a Benro. Don't buy a man Frodo. Don't cheap out. Get a good tripod. They cost money for a reason. And if you look at any professional high-end shoot, you're not going to see a man Frodo or a Benro there. It's just not how it works. Buy the right tool for the job. Buy once, cry once. I recommend getting uh, something a little heavier duty um, for your uh, video camera. And then I would get something um, smaller but still of quality for your um for your mirrorless camera so that your video camera has a nice thick head and your mirror, mirrorless camera has a still thick but maybe not quite as uh, heavy duty of a head. So both of your cameras have really solid sticks. That would be my next investment. And trust me, guys, that's a very important investment. Um, I did I did something one time where I counted the number of times, number of videos in a whole year that I shot on a gimbal and it came out to like five or six. Um, and then I counted the number of times I used a tripod um, in videos that year. And every single video I did had tripod shots in it. Every single one. So where should you put your money, in a gimbal or a tripod? It's pretty simple. Put it in a tripod. Um, so that would be my next purchase. Now let's move on to um, the fifth area. The fifth area would be audio for me. I think from... Um, for a lot of people, you've heard the term that uh, audio is more important in video than the quality of the imagery, and that is definitely true. Um, you can have the best looking video in the world, but if you can't hear what's going on, and it doesn't really matter. So you need to get some good mics. Now, what kind of mics did you get? Well, for someone who's wanting to just be able to cover most situations, I would start out with um, a couple of lav mics, and I would look for a system that gets you two um, wireless transmitters with LOVs and a single uh, dual receiver. I think that's a really, really good route to go um, to start out with. Now, I'm, I'm up to like six LOVs because I, I do all kinds of events and stuff, but 
Honestly, if you get a couple of tr wireless transmitters and a dual receiver that can uh, take both uh, signals from both um, of those transmitters at one time, I really think that's that's a good route to, to go and it will cover a lot of situations for you. So get a couple lav mics. Um, there are a lot of options out there. If you want to go all the way to the top and you're not afraid to spend money, you can get some electrosonics. I mean, those are those are some really high-end um, uh, transmitter and receiver systems. Um, I don't. I personally don't think most people need that. I think something like the Sennheiser route or the Sony route is good enough. Um, I'm not a fan of some of the Rode wireless goes. I don't think that they're bad per se. I just don't really like transmitters and receivers that have to be recharged. I would rather work with interchangeable battery systems so that I know in a pinch, if for some reason something's not charged, I can th throw some new batteries in and, and get back to work. And you can run rechargeable AA batteries. Like I run AnyLoop Pros um, in all of my mics and have for the last six or seven years, and, and they last for forever, and they're great, and they're rechargeable. So I, I prefer that route, and I think something like a Sennheiser or a Sony is a good place to start. And the thing is, is, is a lot of people don't realize this, but the, um, the LAV itself is the most important piece of what a um, or, or of how uh, a lav system sounds. So you could buy, let's say you bought a Sony system, you, you buy uh, a system that has two lav transmitters and then one dual receiver. Okay, you could do that and run the Sony stock lavs for now, but then later on you could buy um, something like Sankin or Countryman. I have Sankin, but you can buy Sankin or Countryman or Tram or something like that. You can get aftermarket lobs that are higher end and you can buy them in Sony mount. And so you can eventually replace your Sony lobs with Sankin or Tram or Countryman lobs and it will dramatically improve the sound quality. So I would start out with something like a Sony or a Sennheiser. And, and another reason to go the Sony or Sennheiser route over something like a Rode Wireless Go is there are more options for aftermarket lobs. You can find trams and countrymans and Sankins like I have in a Sony or Sennheiser mount so that you can upgrade your lobs down the road and dramatically improve your sound quality. Um, but if you go with something like a Rode Wireless Go, it's harder to find those kind of mics. You're more limited in what, what your aftermarket or upgrade options are down the road. So I think it's better to go ahead and put your money, uh, invest your money uh, well and get Sony or Sennheiser wireless systems, get a dual wireless receiver with two transmitters, run the stock lobs for now, and then eventually you'll have an upgrade option to change out the lav mics for something even better down the road. And I think that's a really good place to start. The next thing you need is you really need a, a good gun mic. I actually have two uh, really good gun mics. I run Sony, uh, excuse me, Sennheiser MKH 8060 shotgun mics, but they're really pricey. They're like $1,300 a pop. Um, you don't have to have those. You can get something like um, Rhodes. Uh, I think it's their NTG5 that they came out with recently. Is um, it's, it's a really nice uh, mic and it doesn't it doesn't really cost a whole lot of money. Uh, I believe the price on NTG5 is going to be somewhere around that $500 mark. I could be wrong, but it's I believe it's somewhere around the $500 mark. And 
it's a really great sounding shotgun microphone and uh, uh, you you could get away with one and eventually get two down the road i have two because i like to run i like to run dual boom poles outside and i like to run most of my interviews off of shotgun mics out and when I'm recording outside interviews, um, and I'll run my lobs as backups. Um, so you could do that, but if you don't, if you if you only want to get one, then just get one for start for for now. And you can get something like an NTG5. You can run it on your video camera as um, kind of your your primary um, NAT sound mic. Something that's just going to get a lot of audio for you when you're filming B-roll and stuff like that. Um, but then you can take that same mic and you can get a boom pole and a boom pole stand and you can run that mic as a boom mic for interviews down the road. So it's good to buy a nice quality mic like that um, so that you can run it both on the camera but then also on a boom and it kind of runs um, both purposes. And, and if you're looking for a good on-camera mic, like I said, there's a lot of options out there. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna get a boom mic that's gonna serve both purposes, look at the size of them. That's one of the things I like about the MKH8060. I mean, it is a slam dunk mic in terms of how it sounds. Um, it replaced the uh, legendary Sennheiser 416 mic. It's the um, replacement for that mic. And so it sounds great, but it's also uh, pretty pretty short and compact, so it works good as an on-camera mic. So I would look for um, a shorter shotgun mic, something that can be dual purpose that you can put on your camera, but then you can also run on a boom. There are some options from Sankin that are a little bit um, more expensive than the Rode, but less expensive than uh, the Sennheiser that make good options. So there are options out there, but definitely get yourself a nice gun mic that can run um, as both a boom mic and an on-camera mic. Um, that will go a long way. I also would recommend getting some sort of a cardioid or super cardioid mic. Cardioid and super cardioid mics are basically boom mics, but for recording indoors. Um, I did a whole podcast once on uh, capturing good sounding audio for interviews. And in that podcast, one of the things you hear me talk about is the different uh, mic patterns and their usages. Well, a shotgun mic, and I'm not going to go, there's a whole podcast dedicated on that. So I'm not going to dive in that today, but shotgun mics are not the best choice for recording interviews inside because the by design, they pick up um, audio, not only from the front, but they unfortunately pick up some audio from the back. And so when there's reflections in the room, it'll capture the person's audio, but then their audio, if it bounces around indoors, because um, the waves are going to, the sound waves are going to bounce around the room if the room's not padded right. And what will happen is, is if the room has any sort of echo in it, that shotgun mic is going to pick up that echo and it's going to pick it up slightly after it's picked up the, the audio to begin with. And so it's going to sound really echoey in post, and you don't want that. Um, cardioid and supercardioid mics are, are basically indoor boom mics that don't quite have the reach of a shotgun mic and don't have the rejection of a shotgun mic, which is why they're not great for outdoor use. Um, but what they are really good at is not picking up those rear reflections. So you can take a cardioid or a supercardioid mic and uh, boom indoors um, with it and, and not have uh, much of an echo problem. So I think in your kit and your basic kit, you should have some sort of a shotgun mic for for booming outside for interviews, um, and that can also go on camera as an on-camera mic. And then you have you should have some sort of cardioid or super cardioid mic that you can run indoors um, for indoor booming. Um, I have both 
cardioids and supercardioids um, in the Sennheiser MKH series, uh, but there are a lot of affordable options out there that you can look at um, that will do a good job for you. Now, you may ask the question, why not just run LAVs indoors? And you certainly can. Um, however, uh, boom mics just tend to have a much richer sound, so I prefer to have LAV mics for um, run-and-gun work, events or maybe projects where you are getting like walk and talk shots and things and you don't have a boom operator lav mics are great for all those kinds of things but if you're doing interviews if you can pull it off you're really better off of booming your audio which is why i think every videographer every professional videographer should have at least one gun mic and one cardioid or super cardioid mic and a boom pole set up so they can run booms for their interviews and then have lavs for everything else i think that makes a really nice kit I would also recommend getting um, a Rode, something like a Rode um, VideoMic Pro to put on your mirrorless camera so when you're shooting B-roll and stuff, you can get some NAT sound, some higher quality NAT sound in your B camera. Um, and then it wouldn't even hurt to add like things like a recorder or s- stereo mics. I mean, there's all kinds of other mics out there you can get. But honestly, if you get a shotgun mic and a cardioid or super cardioid indoor booming mic uh, and a couple of lavs, and maybe a Rode VideoMic Pro for your mirrorless camera, that'll pretty much cover most of what you'll need to do. You can run most of your audio into your primary video camera because again, we're gonna get a camera here that has built-in XLR inputs, so you're gonna be covered for pretty much most things. Any other audio gear that you get is gonna be specialized. I have a lot of other audio equipment. Um, I've got audio mixers and things like that, but honestly, most People can get by with that simple basic audio kit of two lobs, a dual receiver, a shotgun mic, um, an indoor booming cardioid or super cardioid mic, and some sort of a, a Rode, in, uh, Rode VideoMic Pro or equivalent type mic for their mirrorless camera. That would make a nice a nice kit with and and, and you know get a, a boom pole and a stand and maybe a sandbag and then that that'll be a really nice audio kit that'll allow you to be able to to do your own audio for most of your work and anything you can't do, well, you can hire a sound guy. Next up is gonna be uh, lighting. For a uh, good lighting kit for someone who's wanting to do this professionally, um, there are a few different lights I would recommend. Um, First would be, uh, you need a three-point lighting setup. I mean, every videographer or anybody who's wanting to do video professionally needs a basic three-point lighting setup. You can spend a little bit of money and and get some off of Amazon. that will get the job done, or you can spend a lot of money and get some Westcott's. That's what I run. I love Westcott bicolored LED panels. I've got a bunch of them, but you don't have to go that far. Um, I do recommend getting, I personally like um, bicolored LED panels. The reason is, is especially flexible panels, because the flexible panels, you can roll them or shape them so you can shape your light, which is really useful. And they're because they're panels you can build them up and put soft boxes on them and barn doors and stuff like that or you can strip them down and run them as just the bare panel so they're to me i really like that if you buy just a soft box setup to me you're kind of limited so one thing i like about like my westcott lights is you can roll them you can shape them you can run them just as a panel you can put them into a soft box setup you can put them uh, put barn doors or egg crates or big diffusers on them you can run them on so many different ways and that allows you to just 
man, be able to use lights in a lot of different scenarios beyond just interviews because lights, lights need to be useful for all kinds of things. So I personally, and this is personal preference, but I personally like um, shapeable LED lights that are bicolored. And the reason why I like bicolored is I like to be able to dial in the, the Kelvin or the temperature. You could even go further than that and get something like an RGB or RGBW uh, lights as well, which allow you to dial in not just the Kelvin, but also um, you could make the lights like red and blue and stuff like that. And those are really cool. Mine aren't that uh, aren't able to do that. Mine are just bicolored LED panels, um, but I have gels for them so I can still change the color. So Get some sort of a, a bicolored lighting setup that, and, and again, I, I just personal preference, but that are shapeable LED panels so that you can build them up into uh, soft boxes and diffusers and things like that, or run them as is, and uh, get gels for them. Um, or if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, um, get the uh, RGB uh, or RGBW lights so that you can... Um, change the color on them um, if you don't want to buy gels. So those are those are your basic lights. Those can be, uh, get three of them, so you can have a three-point lighting setup, and you can have a key light, a fill light, and a backlight, um, and, and whatnot, and that will really help you to be able to have a proper three-point lighting setup. Um, and then again, you could take those lights and use them for a variety of other things as well. I also think I also think it's useful to have some sort of on-camera light in your kit. I rarely ever use an on-camera light. I mean, very, very rarely have I used one. I mean, maybe five or six times ever in my whole career. However, I always have one on me, even though I never use one, hardly ever. And the reason is just simply because you never know. You never know when you might be covering an event or shooting a doc project where, hey, if I don't throw a if I don't throw a light on this camera, I just simply am not getting the shot. Um, and I I don't like the look of an on camera light. I think it looks kind of dumb. Personally, I would rather like if I was filming an outdoor climbing sequence, I wouldn't want an on camera light. I'd rather use like let someone's headlamp that they're wearing be the light. You know, I would rather it look more natural, you know, um, and more creative. However, you just never know when you might be covering an event or something, and that might be your only option. I don't like them, and I rarely have ever used them, but I do think it doesn't hurt just to keep one in your bag. Um, so have some sort of on-camera light just for those you-never-know situations. Um, and then a couple small lights that you can um, you can have just to, as placement. I call them placement lights. You can just place them in places. Um, I have these uh, lights. I, I can't remember the name of them. Um, I actually did buy them off Amazon. They're RGW uh, magnetic lights. They're actually pretty cool. I think they might be called Hawkeyes or something like that. They're actually really bright and they're rechargeable and they're RGW or RGBW lights and you can throw them um, magnetically. You can throw them anywhere. I, all the time, I'll, if I'm like filming in a doctor's office, I'll just like plop them on a filing cabinet and change the color on them and turn them on just to add a little bit of... Um, a little bit of depth to the room or if I'm like filming a, a sequence in, in a shop and I, I, I want to add some depth somewhere, I can throw the light on something and, and turn it on and dial the color in where I want it. So they're kind of cool. So I think I think having a, a three-point lighting set up with some sort of a bicolored LED panels with gels or RGBW um, LED panels with gel. Uh, which don't need gels <laughs> and get, you know, soft boxes and all that for your lights, for your primary lighting setup, and then get some sort of on-camera light just to have 
in case, and then get some smaller lights that you can toss in places. And that will be a nice rounded uh, lighting kit. And lights are important. Don't be the don't be the um, the photographer who says, "Oh, I'm a natural light shooter only." Um, usually, when someone says that, it means that they don't know how to use lights. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with natural light. I shoot a lot of projects with natural light. However, artificial light is just a necessity. You need it. So get it and get something like what I talked about today so that you you have uh, lights that will be able to be used in a wide variety of situations. Um, after you get those things, those are the most important things. I mean, a couple of cameras, like a primary camera, a secondary camera, um, some lenses, um, some tripod, uh, a couple tripods, and an audio setup, and a lighting setup are the most basic things you need. Um, from there, you can start adding a few small pieces. Uh, I think it would uh, like your next investment should be filters. Your camera, your primary video camera, should have built-in ND filters, so you should be covered there. But you'll need filters for your mirrorless camera, so you'll need some sort of a matte box with filters or screw-on ND filters. Um, I personally would rather run a matte box with filters on my B cam because I'm not a fan of screw on ND filters. They change the color, they uh, have what's called color shift in them. And they also sometimes will cause some random weird flares and will um, even create vignetting issues. To me, they take away from the image quality too much. Um, you can get them if you are running and gunning for most of your work and you don't want to fool with a matte box. Um, but if you want pure image quality, get a matte box with filters for your matte box. And this is all for your B camera because your B camera is going to need some sort of ND setup. So get something, either a matte box with filters if you want to do it uh, the right way, or if you want to do a run and gun, and, and I do do this sometimes, if you've got a run and gun shoot and you don't want to fool around with a matte box, then at the very least get some screw on NDs, but don't go cheap on them. Um, they're still not going to be great, <laughs> but at least get the better ones just so that you're you know, hurting your image less than, than you know, the least amount that you can. <laughs> um, next up, after you get your filtration, is it's time to get some motion equipment. Um, I think that a really good investment is gonna be um, a a some sort of a flexible, um, nimble gimbal. Nimble gimbal, <laughs> um, and the reason why is I I know I'm not crazy about like following people around with my gimbal. Like I, I do that sometimes if a shot calls for it, but what I like gimbals for is uh, gimbals can be used to get all kinds of different creative shots, um, not just following someone, but you can use them for all kinds of things. You can use them as a fake dolly. You can, if you get the settings dialed in right and you learn how to use one properly and know the catwalk and everything. So a, a gimbal can be used as a fake uh, fake dolly. It can be used um, to like, you can get under a tree and just spin around and it sounds crazy, but it could, you know, you do that in slow motion, it could look really dramatic, especially if the light's like, popping through the leaves. So like there's all kinds of things you can do with a gimbal beyond just simply stabilizing your shot. And so I think that um, I think that a gimbal is a good investment. And used to like when I bought my Movi M5, I dropped like five grand on it, but you don't have to today. Uh, you can get something like I personally recommend the Ronin RS2 by DJI. The DJI RS2 um, is a um, 
man, it's, it's a pretty sweet gimbal and, um, it, it's really strong and powerful and you can get accessories to mount it to like a car or to a jib, um, and to a variety of other things. So you can use it for so many different situations. So it's a very good tool that you can use as a gimbal more traditionally, but you can use it in a variety of other ways too. Um, and it can track you now, like if you want to film yourself for some reason, or maybe, maybe you want to put it on a stage and you want it to follow a speaker backstage and just pan and follow the speaker. You can do that. You literally can. You can literally take that gimbal and mount it onto a tripod backstage and literally drag a circle around a speaker. And while you're filming the speaker from the front of the front of the stage, it can literally follow the speaker as he walks for you automatically. It's insane. So I, I think something like a, a DJI Ronin um, or something like the RS2 is like a really good option. Uh, you can get them for under a grand, which is crazy, brand new. Um, so I would recommend something like that as a not too expensive uh, item that can open up a lot of uh, creative options. Um, next, I would get something like a remote controlled slider. Um, I went with a more standard slider back in the day. I built my own the first time, it was terrible. Um, and then I got some cheaper ones and then eventually I got a remote controlled Rhino slider. It was a great move because at the end of the day, a remote controlled slider can just slide better than you, period. You are human, and it's really hard for you to have the same speed the entire time. Whereas if you get a remote-controlled slider, you can dial in what speed you want it to be at, and so how fast or how slow you want it to slide. You can even have it loop where it slides back and forth, which is awesome for interviews. My slider slides and pans at the same time so that I can, during an interview, have my slider sliding and panning. And uh, I've got 24-inch and 42-inch ra rails for mine, so mine can slide 42 inches. It can slide and pan the entire time back and forth during an interview, which opens up so many creative options if you want to just add a nice, slow-moving, sliding, panning shot to your interview. I mean, it can make it so much more dramatic. And of course, you can use a slider for more traditional sliding shots. You can use it for time lapses. You can use it for all kinds of things. I just think sliders are great at revealing things. They're great at just adding a little bit of motion. Um, I think they're a good tool to have in your kit. And there are some really affordable um, motion controlled sliders out there from a variety of companies. I personally like Rhino, but there's a lot of other brands out there that make nice remote controlled sliders today. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get something um, that can open up a lot of creative doors. So if, if you're wanting to add another, another element to what you can offer or um, the kinds of shots you can get, look at some sort of a, some sort of a motion controlled slider. Um, I would also recommend, um, after that, getting some sort of a drone. Um, and if you're gonna get a drone and you're gonna be doing this for pay, you also have to have your drone license, um, which is not that difficult to get. And once you have your um, license, you'll be able to not only shoot legally for pay, um, but it opens up some doors because a lot of people out there don't have their license. And if you're gonna get, get out there and market yourself, you can say that you're a licensed pilot. And that's, huge because um, you can you can get um, your foot in the door with companies who only want to work with people who are um, licensed. So get a drone and get a license and that will already kind of put you up a little bit further than most people. Um, for your drone, there are a lot of options out there. Um, I recently have picked up a DJI Air 2S. It is awesome. I'm just shocked at what you can get out of that drone. I mean, for the size and the money, it is amazing. I've gotten shots off of it that 
I ask myself, did I shoot this off my FX6? Because it sure looks like it. I mean, it's a crazy good drone and it shoots a log really well at 10 bit color at high bit rates. Like what? I mean, it's, it's an awesome, awesome drone. It's the best flying drone I've ever, I've ever personally worked with as well. It's just amazing. It does so many things really, really, really well. And it doesn't cost a lot and it's small and packable. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go bigger, like I'm in the market for a big drone right now, something like a, an Astro from FreeFly for my big commercial clients. And I want to fly my, my A7S3, for example. But most of the projects I have, I could get by with that Air 2S by DJI. I mean, it's that good. It's a great drone. And so it's a good tool to add to your kit because you can get a lot of different types of shots with it, you know, and, and, and I just think having a drone today is also important just because it helps you get hired because a lot of companies will ask you or a lot of individuals ask you, hey, do you have a drone? And if you say yes, you have a better shot at getting the job because they're probably a lot of people are looking for guys who have drones. Just is the way it is. Didn't used to be that way, but it is now. So I think you need to have one and you need to have your license. Um, and again, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You can get something like the Air 2S from DJI and you can get some awesome, incredible shots with it. You just can. Um, so that would be my next investment would be to get a drone and get, um, get your license for it. And also get like filters and stuff too, and treat it like you would your other cameras. Don't don't just throw it up there as is. Definitely get NDs and whatnot. But um, but yeah, get a drone package. And then after that, uh, the rest is just up to you and how deep down the rabbit trail you want to go. I mean, you can go as deep as you want to go at this point. You can get man, you could get jibs and you could get car mounts and you could get uh, drones to fly your FX6 or your whatever your big primary video camera is going to be, um, you, you know, you could get all kinds of stuff. It goes super deep down that rabbit hole. But honestly, if you get the things I talked about in this podcast, you'll be well on your way. And obviously you're going to have to get batteries and battery chargers and memory cards, and you're going to have to have white mallets cards, and you're going to have to probably get some sort of computer and some hard drives and things like that. But as far as just the basic overview of the general equipment to get. I think this is a really good list. I think if you get if you get a primary video camera, interchangeable lens video camera as your A cam, if you get a, a, a mirrorless camera that's of the same brand as your B cam, get some some the some zooms for it, some fast zooms and maybe a couple fast primes, get a couple of nice tripods, um, get uh, get some audio gear, get some lighting gear, and um, get like a matte box or screw on ND filters for your mirrorless camera, uh, get a, a gimbal, some sort of affordable gimbal, get a remote controlled slider, and get a drone. And at that point, man, there's not much you won't be able to do. Um, and again, you can go deep down the rabbit hole. Um, I, I have, I've got all kinds of live streaming gear and I've got different types of gimbals like my Movi and and I've got uh, an easy my easy rig which is just one of the best investments I've ever made. If you don't know what easy rig is, um, Google it. It's an amazing tool. Um, and I've got uh, man, I've got a third camera that I work a lot of times with with so I can run three cameras at once. And I mean. I'm deep in the rabbit hole. <laughs> and you can be too if you want. Um, but the point is, if you get those basic things that I talked about, um, you'll be able to do a ton of different types of projects. And that's the key, right? It's You're not limited to just weddings. You're not limited to just real estate, right? You are able to do all kinds of projects from... Um, 
from being able to cover events or do commercials for companies or uh, do uh, promotional videos for um, companies or do uh, corporate videos, speaking engagements, um, recruitment videos, TED Talks. I mean, all kinds of stuff, short films, doc projects, on and on and on. You can do so much with, the, with a setup like that. And to me, that's, that's what makes it so important, is it allows you to work professionally in a wide variety of environments. It keeps your work interesting because you can work in so many different videos. And you never know where you're going to go or what you're going to be shooting. And uh, kind of keeps everything fresh and keeps the doors open for you. So if you're going to get into video professionally, I think that this equi- equipment list is a really, really good place to start. If you have any questions about anything I talked about today, hop on to the Filming with Josh Facebook group. If you are not yet a member, go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is over 650 members strong at this point, and it is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. There we talk about video and photography and editing and how to write a contract and pricing and you name it, we probably have covered it. So come join the group, ask your questions there, and we will be happy to answer those questions for you. Thanks guys for listening to this podcast. I hope you learned something from it and I'll see you guys soon. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Today.